This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. In this episode, I speak with Willie Yao, who's currently the head of infrastructure at Notion. Before joining Notion, Willie worked at Airbnb for eight years as the company grew from 80 to thousands of engineers. In this episode, we cover a broad swath of topics, including how developer experience became a priority at Airbnb, the challenges of both monoliths and services, and examples of what it looks like to adopt and embrace a customer-first mindset from both Notion and Airbnb. All right. Well, it's great to have you on the show today, Willie. I'm really excited to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. Well, so much to talk about today. I'd like to start off with hearing a little bit about your experience at Airbnb and then kind of loop it back to what you're doing at Notion currently. And as I understand it, you spent eight years in various roles, projects, leading infra at Airbnb. And I know your focus evolved a lot throughout your time there. So I'd love to start there. What did your journey look like as Airbnb kind of went through hyper growth, I'm sure, as during the time you were there? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, you'd love to give, you know, share the story of developer experience journey at Airbnb with a little bit of focus on, you know, potentially common themes of hypergrowth companies in that domain. You know, I think oftentimes you'll have a business that is growing fast and you want to capitalize on that momentum and you hire more engineers to move faster, to build more features and an even better product. And I think a lot of companies at this stage often lack the experience in headcount planning, which is you know, pretty normal. You, know, you do your H1 planning, you stack on your projects, and you allocate your headcounts accordingly. And I think what's often implied here is that the teams with the most appealing projects are kind of rewarded with the headcount under the false assumptions that you know, engineers are productive immediately, uh, when in reality, you know, it takes six to 12 months to, to onboard, and you know, it, it creates a lot of pressure to deliver and you know, creates you know, diminishing marginal uh, developer productivity. And so you'll quickly find that, you know, just doing that actually slows you down over time. Um, This is something we definitely saw at Airbnb in in the early days. And Will Larson, who I I think was one of the guests on the show uh, recently, has a good blog post on this titled um, Productivity in the Age of Hypergrowth, where I think the key takeaways are that sometimes when you have more engineers, you have more problems. Uh, You have your tenure folks spending all their time onboarding new hires and, you know, and like the, the system doesn't survive in order of magnitude of growth. And I'm curious, when did this kind of, when was this pain most felt at Airbnb? Uh, what stage of the company? Yeah, I think, you know, there's different stages of this um, and we'll go through a couple of them. I think in the very beginning, it's more just the, a lack of a recognition that hey, we need to set aside time and resources to focus on developer productivity, right? Just because the company is going quickly and things are going well, it doesn't mean that developer velocity is going to you know, keep, up, keep up with that. And so, you know, what we had at Airbnb was that the engineers will often feel this pain first, right? And this, this is, you know, probably going back to around 2014, I would say. And so oftentimes you'll have engineers lead grassroots efforts of different skills to address the frustrations that they have with developer productivity. And it's really important in these stages to support uh, these efforts. At Airbnb, we actually had a few engineers self-organize into a developer happiness team 
uh, that did much of the crucial early work and quality of life improvements to the developer experience and really put together an early version of what a development environment that helps new engineers get started more easily looks like. Um, but then, you know, even with these grassroots efforts, things like releases often still get to a place where developer frustration accumulates beyond just uh, paper cuts. Um, and this is a very obvious place where people will feel that they are productive. Right, because it's common to say, hey, you know, we have twice the number of engineers now, but why aren't we, you know, shipping twice as much? And also, like, every engineer wants to be empowered and feel that they're not blocked and able to deliver meaningful value every day. And, you know, nothing frustrates us, but like having to wait in line for a release that, you know, disrupts their day. And on top of that, when you have this type of contention on, on releases, Incidents become these cascading effects, right? This is why companies have deploy uh, lock or merge blocks during holidays um, and are strategic about what time they do releases because, you know, just the way the math works, um, as you have more changes, the more it is that you'll, you know, maybe have a bug in a release and, when, and you can have a ca real cascading effect there. And so, you know, that was sort of like a second stage in which uh, even with the grassroots efforts, we needed, we suddenly realized we needed to have a concerted effort around improving uh, releases. Gotcha. So sort of quality of life improvements, which were very grassroots, bottoms up, was the beginning of sort of developer experience at Airbnb. But then it sounds like reliability and incidents was kind of like more of a, like a hammer, like a forcing function for, hey, this is something we really need to to look into and and understand. That's right. Well, so I know that during your time at Airbnb, you, you worked in a number of different areas. Could you just share a little bit more? You know, how did your role and your focus and projects sort of evolve during your time at Airbnb? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, I started my career at Airbnb and I essentially worked on developer experience in some form uh, throughout most of my time there. And I think in the beginning, it was more focused on specific domain areas. Um, so I was very fascinated about the observability space. Right? Um, and, and that ended up, I think, being an important piece. You know, and we can talk about this more a little bit later, but one of the strategies that Airbnb took was to break its monolith into uh, more services, um, which uh, had a lot of good benefits, but also a lot of good challenges we can talk about later. But one of the things you really need in that is a good observability stack. It's much, much harder to understand what's really going on in a system when you need multiple points of instrumentation and being able to, to chain that together. And so that, you know, I focused on that for a, a number of years before shifting focus to uh, releases. And by the time I joined releases, this is kind of past kind of the anecdote I, I mentioned earlier, you know, things that are, we're much more stable already, but it was more around getting to the next level uh, of more continuous deployment, getting to more codified uh, releases and building in automated canary analysis so that all the different services can have that out of the box and migrate to uh, a automated deploy system, have that incentive to do so and so forth. And so I focused uh, on that for a while before gradually expanding um, I focused more and more holistically. And in my final years there, 
was really focused on the overall development environment and making sure that that was something that enabled engineers to be productive in a service-oriented uh, world. Well, well, thanks for sharing that. And we'll definitely come back more to the, the monolith topic, as well as uh, talking about some of those specific tools you worked on. Something you had mentioned to me before was you, you sort of remarked that you'd kind of worked productivity, and then you worked on experience. And of course, those are two terms out there, right? Developer productivity and experience. And you mentioned to me that you prefer experience. Like you said, that's what it's all about. Could you kind of expound on that thought? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone wants to be productive, right? And so I think that is a very natural uh, word. But I, I do think that sometimes that term, I mean, that term is very subjective. And I think it can elicit feelings of, oh, like I am just a resource that, you know, this here to be productive for this, this company. And one of the themes that we really focused on in, in more recent years at Airbnb was this customer first mindset, right? Where the customer is uh, all the engineers at Airbnb. And one of the things that we believed is that while developer productivity is difficult to quantify, individual engineers or engineers as a whole generally have a pretty good sense of, you know, how, how things are. You know, if you just kind of ask around, hey, how are you feeling about things? Or you ask and there are exit surveys or just surveys in general, you get a kind of a good sense of, you know, what is the state of things just depending on how things bubbled up. And so I really prefer the term developer experience because if you have a really good experience, you're really empowered and motivated to build great things. Whereas like productivity is this really subjective, obviously experience is subjective as well, but it's coming from the perspective of uh, the engineers. You know, that's something we really like. And we think that sends the right messaging around how we're here to really empower you to be successful. I love that. And of course, definitely agree with that. I, I want to double click on that sort of customer first. I, I've heard you mention that a few times this importance of listening to customers at Airbnb scale and with the number of, I'm sure, different pockets of the company and different tools. Like, practically speaking, and you mentioned surveys, I'd love to know more about that too. But, like, how did you be customer first at Airbnb internally? Yeah, that's a good question. So, before I answer that, maybe let me set a little bit of context in terms of where that focus came from. Right? So I think where we left off the story was probably around maybe 2016, 17 earlier. And we fast forward a, a couple of years. By the beginning of 2020, um, everybody had a fairly service-oriented architecture, a very service-oriented architecture approaching around 500 different services. And it became really apparent that it's really hard to be productive because it was difficult to develop and test effectively across so many dependencies. And in 2020, we had a new director of engineering uh, join for developer platform. And we, we were in the midst of the struggle. Um, and I'm sure she had many conversations with folks and really, really took that in, took, took a look at the problem. And she really introduced this theme of developer first. It was kind of a banner that was repeated over and over again um, in, in different all hands at, at different levels. And what it really is about is a mindset. The mindset that our core purpose here is to deliver customer value. You know, so you kind of take Amazon's customer obsession, but your customer is the engineering team. And you build a culture around celebrating your customers and celebrating 
the value that you can provide for them. And so this does a few things. The repeated messaging signals to the other org leaders that, hey, we're taking this really seriously. There's some element of repairing or building trust who may have lost faith and infra's ability to improve developer productivity or just, just thought that, you know, that's something that they were on their own on. Um, and, you know, we have a really senior leader like that come in and make this such a theme. That's a really powerful thing, right? Real, people really look to that leadership. And so it jumpstarts partnerships that are critical for piloting the changes that you need to improve the developer experience at, at that scale. Because once you're beyond a certain scale, no change comes easily. Almost every single change comes with some level of migration of some sort. And so you really need that buy-in. Right? And so having that set of pilot customers you know, closes that loop, builds the fast feedback loop, helps you build momentum, and gives you an uh, you know, evangelist on different product teams. And we often talk about product-led growth. And that's you really want that internally within a company as well, right? You want to build a great product for your customers and let word of mouth sell it for you as opposed to mean to, hey, this is what we're using now. And the second thing that this customer first mindset introduces, I think, is a level of humility. Don't assume that you've built the right solutions or even assume that you know how developers actually work at your company. It's kind of parallel to when you're running a startup and how you look for product market fit, right? You want to kind of fail fast, uh, you know, ship early, and actually see how people are using uh, that 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 product. I think oftentimes when you're building out, say, a developer flow, it's easy to imagine the ideal flow and how people will use it. But it almost never actually happens that way. I mean, you have to constantly look at how people are actually using it, and you know, and trust that you know the users actually are doing things for a reason and they understand, you know, that this is the path of least resistance and how to how to work with that. And I think the third thing that the you know having a customer first mindset really does is it really attracts uh, talent, it really attracts folks to to this problem. You're signaling that, hey, this is the most important problem that we need to need to solve. And so and as you see more and more, you know, senior I see leaders move to the space, you know, more and more folks are excited to, to work on it. So that's the mindset. But in terms of concretely what, what you actually do, a lot of it is around, I mentioned earlier, putting this theme, you know, very front and center and, and all hands at all layers of the company. So every single all hands for the developer platform work, this was a really big theme. We brought customers stories, we celebrated their success you know, really shared our progress. Um, and this is also a really big theme across engineering as a whole. It was around saying, hey, this is really important. It's a big point of topic at almost every CTO Q&A, either through the questions that, that people asked and how we responded to them, or through presentations on kind of where we're at um, and so forth. You know, the listening sessions we did at, at all levels, um, you know, our, our director would go and talk to her partners and also jump in on different teams. Our teams were regularly, you know, sitting in on product team meetings and sharing uh, our progress and so forth. And all of this is to build a culture in which developer experience is really valued. What a powerful story. And there's so much there. I have a few follow-up questions to, to some of the things. First of all, I loved 
your mention of product-led growth. I'd never thought about that in the context of DevX teams, but that's so true. I mean, I don't know how else you really can do it. I mean, I'm sure there are instances where there's sort of the top down. I mean, if you're breaking up a monolith, that's not really product-led, you know, that's not really grassroots per se, but in terms of new tools for observability or orchestration or monitoring, totally makes sense that those types of initiatives need to be really product-led, you know, let developers kind of vote with their feet. I'm curious, you mentioned this, sounds like an amazing leader who came in and instilled this developer-first banner. I'm curious, like, was it up to your group, like the infra group, to really propagate this? Or was this really, and and you kind of touched on it by mentioning it was captured in all hands, but I'm curious, like, was this developer-first a message being really or pillar being championed at the sea level as well? Or was it really just your group kind of shouting it into the rest of the company? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. Oh, it was absolutely championed at the the sea level. In fact, so this this director, her name is Kamini, by the way. You can easily look her up on on LinkedIn. Um, you know, she joined as the director of a developer platform, you know, focusing on developer experience. And one of the things that I was really excited about that happened after I left was that she actually was promoted to be one of Airbnb's first VP of engineering, overseeing all of infrastructure. I you know, don't know the details of that story, but it's, you know, I think it's clear that developer experience is really important you know, for Airbnb at this stage. Um, and I know that Airbnb CTO have a lot of trust uh, and, and comedy as, as a leader. And so this message of customer first and then the work that we were actually doing as a result of that is one of the most important and most visible initiatives at Airbnb. Uh, we have this collection of initiatives called uh, Tech Stack 2.0. Um, and this this piece um, internally is called AirDev uh, is really focused on really up-leveling and reimagining what that developer experience looks like, what that developer environment looks like. Yeah, that's so inspiring. Just, you know, there, I meet so many companies that don't yet have that C. I'm sure you've heard some of our past podcast episodes with folks who are really trying to build a DevX function or pillar from the bottoms up without that C-level support. So it sounds like you guys were able to sort of establish that support and then sort of uh, ride the the wind in your sail, so to speak, uh, and have success. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that, you know, part of the reason why that came together in recent years actually hasn't because it was so painful. There's an interest rate, you know, to tech debt that you take on. I think for many years, our investment in it was, I think, under what the interest rate was. And I think it grew to a level where it became very visible that it was difficult to be productive. And, you know, all systems have kind of an ability to self-correct. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. And so there was an element of the debt building big enough and coming up enough in sort of exit surveys and just a general sentiment that this became a big thing. But it is really great that you know leaders at Airbnb recognize that and you know shifts were made to make this uh, such a big focus. Yeah, I want to stay on that topic because I've mentioned this to you before. I, I used to work with some folks at Airbnb and at one point, I had heard from them that developer experience was a, was a big concern for the company. And 
that it was specifically top of mind for the CTO because it was identified as a top source of developers leaving the company. So I'm curious, while you were working in infra, were you also sort of hearing about the attrition problem related to developer experience? Was it just rumors? No, no, absolutely. I mean, this is well known throughout the company as a, as a point of frustration. One thing I would say, though, is Airbnb actually has great retention. Almost too good, honestly, to, to some extent. I was there for eight years, and some of my best friends from the very beginning are, are which is, I think, incredible in this industry. Um, but I think, you know, for the folks who, who did leave, this was um, one of the commonly cited uh, reasons for, for departure. And I do think that you know, people vote with their feet, and that did lead to, you know, changes and, you know, the importance of, of investing in this. Um, and I think one of the challenges we had for many years was attracting very senior folks who want to work on one of this. You know, I think a lot of times on the infrastructure side, you have very experienced engineers who want to work on sort of like really hard technical problems that were more purely technical, which I think speaks to the challenge that people want to solve and also not necessarily wanting to have to navigate organizational challenges as, as well. And also, like challenges like developer experience doesn't necessarily have a right answer. So I think that can be really you know, challenging to, to navigate. And so it took alignment at very senior levels to say, no, 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 this is a really big focus. We're going to advocate to bring some of our most experienced folks to this problem. Tell them, hey, look, this is the thing that we really need to solve. Um, and then from there, you kind of really build the momentum uh, around it. And, and when we did that, that was actually a huge moment because we had teams that have been trying to work on, you know, improving the developer environment, specifically uh, Airbnb for quite some time. And uh, it was a big moment to have, you know, folks that they really looked up to with a lot of experience were able to um, really help advocate for the work that was already being done. Yeah, that's, again, inspiring to hear. And this is, I'm just personally curious, you know, what, as someone who was there during this time, I mean, was this like, how did this become sort of like, was it a lot of just kind of grumbling across the company and some attrition here, attrition here, then, you know, manager here mentions it to director here, or then CTO here. Like how did, you know, if you're at another company that's sort of in this earlier phases of the interest on that tech debt occurring. What's the right way for the the scale to tip? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, and I think this maybe goes to some of the lessons that I took away from my time there. And one of the things is to start early on developer experience. And that's one of the lessons that you know I took the notion, and we, we can talk about that in, in a little bit. But it's important to start early because at the earlier phases, you know, the amount of investment that you need to make bigger changes is, is much lower. You know, you don't start incurring both organizational and, and technical debt, right? Because like once you lose trust on the ability to work on this, either with other engineering teams or even within the infrastructure team, or, hey, do our leaders care about this? You know, once you have that, you also have an organizational debt to build up on top of that. And so I think it's really important to get started early and say that, hey, this is something we want to build a, a culture around. Um, and one of the ways I think about this, you know, has to do with your confidence in your business, 
because I do think it is probably possible to get started too early, right? If you know you don't quite have product market fit yet, it's that's maybe not the right right focus, right? But if your company is in a very fortunate position of having very strong product market fit and you have visibility into that growth far out, then it's a sign of confidence to say, okay, well, we should be planning for that future and investing in this uh, today. And I think, you know, I don't know what the counterfactual could have been, but I think for a long time, I felt like we were constantly trying to pay off that initial debt of the early days where we were too reliant on grassroots efforts instead of really, you know, putting a, a focus uh, on, on this. Um, and I think, you know, really listening and, you know, that, that having that customer first mindset, I think is always really important. Um, and so, you know, mentioned quite a bit about that already. But I think the, the third bit is around being intentional about your architecture. That's really difficult to get right. You know, Airbnb embarked on this journey of moving to a service oriented architecture because of challenges in the developer experience, where right? it was difficult for everyone to be working on one model monolith. The challenge is that with more services, you come with you know different types of problems. You know, and for example, in, in storage, you know, more teams need to understand how to capacity plan, or otherwise you have a centralized storage team that's overwhelmed. You have to invest a lot in observability. Um, you have to invest a lot of in tooling and culture to create a DevOps mindset uh, so that you know, teams can own uh, their you know, services effectively. And SOA is not well designed. You know, you can easily end up with a distributed monolith that um, represents distributed version of, of, of a monolith in which it's harder to test and you still have cascading failures and so forth. And so, but I guess going back to your question on, you know, how do companies start thinking about this and, and getting ahead of it? You know, I think it will probably be different at every company, but I think that narrative of, hey, how much confidence do you have in your business? You know, do you want to invest ahead of time? You know, for that, I think is one that I'm a big fan of. And then the other thing is, it's actually something that I really validated before coming to Notion to know, hey, how does the most senior level leadership think about this problem so that, you know, I know that we had the buy-in, you know, before coming in to know that this would be a priority for the company. And I think very fortunately in the case of Notion, you know, we are a, uh, a productivity tools company. And so that the importance of productivity and building abstractions and investing in the long term is really built into the company's DNA. And so we're in a very fortunate position there. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it seems like every developer should be asking that question when they're interviewing at a company, right? How invested is leadership in making sure my job is relatively easy to do? Yeah, absolutely. I love how you describe sort of the impact on developer experience of monolith versus services. Are you are you much more pro monolith than you were in the uh, the early days of breaking up the monolith at Airbnb? That's a good question. I don't think there's one right answer. Airbnb had to break up its monolith. I do wish we were more opinionated about how to structure the monolith. Part of what had happened was we built really great tooling that made it easy for any team to spin up a new service. And so without very strong guidance 
or at least alignment across engineering on when do you build a new service and how, what is the relationship between services? And so what happened was there was just a huge proliferation of, of services. You know, uh, you build a service, at least this is what, how the myth went. In, in practice, this actually happened, I don't know. But the myth was, if you want to get promoted, you build a new service and, you know, you roll it out and all of a sudden you have, you know, N plus one services and that just kind of kept cascading out. I don't know if that myth was actually ever true, but the fact that people thought that was really, you know, not a great incentive. And so one of the things that Airbnb is going through right now is this multi-year project to reorganize its service-oriented architecture into what we call a block architecture, where you have different service blocks that together serve a certain set of use cases. And you're able to prove that as long as you're able to test within that block, you don't have to test outside of it. And so you can kind of reason about just subsets of it. I think monoliths have their own challenges as well. There's a different type of investment you need to make to make sure that that scales. You need to have very strong and clear ownership boundaries within the monolith. Um, you have to be able to make these builds very quickly and so forth. And so, you know, I, I think there's, there are no silver bullets to these uh, challenges. Um, you know, companies have to make decisions at, you know, juncture points. Um, and it does really pay though to have experienced folks who have seen parts of this before who are able to put the right guardrails in place as the company continues to scale. Yeah. I really love that example of the sort of guardrails or principles you guys put around, you know, not having too many services because that seems to be the ever proliferation of services seems to be a pretty common problem when organizations transition. I have one more question about your time at Airbnb, then I want to move on to Notion. But you know, we've spoken to a lot of leaders of infra and DevX groups, but not many who worked at the scale of Airbnb. One question I've had for you is sort of how unified or disparate were the tools used by developers at Airbnb? And then similarly, like how was your platform or DevX group broken up or aligned or organized around those different areas if there were different areas? Yeah, good question. I would say that... The build, test, deploy style tooling themselves were relatively standardized. And the reason for that is because it generally didn't make sense to go off, or maybe it wasn't even possible to go off and roll your own deployment tooling, roll your own kind of um, system that ran continuous integration and, and so forth. And so that was relatively pretty well standardized. Of course, your mobile teams will need a different you know, build, test, deploy pipeline and so forth. But within kind of these different, what we call platforms, there was you know, pretty well standardized. Differences lay more in approaches to testing and some specific testing frameworks that teams would use. Payment, for example, has a much higher requirement around uh, the correctness of things. And so there was always a lot of debate on how much to rely on end-to-end -end integration tests. On the one hand, a guaranteed you know, correctness, but you know, the larger your test, you know, suites are, the less unit they are, the more it is that they're brittle and, you know, flaky. There's some differences there. The big difference laid in how different teams did development itself when it came to the development environment. Like teams had vastly different development flows. Uh, some teams had essentially staging instances number one through 10 and they were using Google calendars to reserve them in order to kind of do testing. And 
And this is a reflection that what was supposed to be the standardized development environment was not working for them, either because dependencies were not present or the test data in those environments just were not representative or they're unable to debug edge cases that were not that were very common without being a more production-like environment. And so that was pretty scattered. And I alluded to kind of this big project called AirDev earlier that really was about trying to bring all of this together. And there's many, many hours of listening sessions across different teams to even understand how people were actually using of the disparate offerings that, that existed. And in terms of how the developer platform or kind of math of these problems, at least at the time when, when I was there, you know, things may have changed over the, the past year. But we had a set of teams focused on the platform agnostic layer. And this is actually the area I was, I was focused on. You know, your build, test, deploy tooling that were shared regardless of what uh, platform you're on. And then you had a platform-specific layer. When I say platform, I mean things like front-end, you know, back-end services, uh, native, and so forth. And so that set of team focuses on the different frameworks uh, needed for different platforms, as well as the different build uh, systems uh, needed for, for different platforms. And the developer environment was kind of like difficult cross-cutting piece that we drove in the form of an initiative. And over time, we pulled more and more teams into this initiative so that that really was like the central focus because we considered the most important piece to uplevel the developer experience that it can be. That's awesome. And that makes sense. It's interesting how you, like you said, it was sort of a longer term initiative, pulled more and more teams into it as it gained momentum. I'd love to pivot though and talk about you joined Notion fairly recently. I know when we first spoke, you said there were around 130 engineers expecting to grow a lot. And I think when you joined, they were at that point where they were sort of recognizing that each incremental engineer was sort of becoming less incrementally productive. Tell me more about sort of the impetus for for them bringing you on and making this investment and focusing in this area. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Before I dive into that, I'd love to maybe kind of just make sure you know, your listeners have some familiarity with Notion. Um, so at Notion, our mission is to make it possible for every business and person to tailor software to their problems so that the world can be better at solving its problems. Today, software is the basis for most of the tools that we use in our personal and professional lives, but most people don't have the ability to build their own software tools. And so we're really passionate about providing a kit of Legos that give anyone the power to design the tools that they need, whether they are a startup founder, a content creator, a small business owner, or just students taking notes in a class or just planning, you know, vacation. And in the last couple of years, we've grown quite a bit in popularity among startups, students, and creators, and generally anyone looking for an all-in-one collaboration uh, or life organization tool. Right? And so I was really, you know, passionate about kind of this mission. And so, you know, that brought me over to Notion. And when I started talking to them, they were really looking more for just a manager of the infrastructure space. Infrastructure at the time was just one team. And they were really interested in the experience that I had at Airbnb to be able to have a sense of, oh, what will happen you know, over the next couple of years and, and what to anticipate. And I would not say that the focus on developer experience was 
one that had already existed at least at kind of at this level. Um, it was seen as a potentially an important investment, but kind of all the ingredients were there. And so it was one of the things that I really pushed for uh, once joining, making sure there was a team dedicated to this, making sure that you know there was someone you know advocating for it and creating sessions to bring us closer to our customers. And in terms of Notion sort of timing, you mentioned earlier, you know, start early. Is Notion early? Are they late? Are they right on time? What's your observation? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, it's never possible to tell in the moment. It's something that I'm excited to look back on and learn from, you know, the things that hopefully we got right and the new mistakes that we'll make along the way. And I think that's part of the fun of of these journeys. Like when when I look back at, at our time at Airbnb, you know, there were many challenges along the way, but like there's always an appreciation for at different stages folks made the best possible decisions that they could have, you know, with the resources that they had at, at that time. And it's, it's all just a part of company building, organization building, infrastructure uh, building. You know, I do think we're starting, compared to what I thought it would be, I do think we're starting much earlier. So that's something I'm, I'm really, really excited about. You mentioned to me, you know, so developer experience is sort of a new function, a new practice, a new thing at Notion. And you mentioned to me you're really working on building that culture or, or the passion for that kind of work within Notion. So what what are you doing to do that, achieve that? So the first thing is just around, I mentioned earlier, kind of seeding a team in, in this in this area. One of my observations is that there are problems everywhere to solve. And everything is always harder than it first meets the eye. And so if you have someone focusing on an area, they will find problems in, in that area. And so you have to be somewhat strategic about where you place your seeds, because once you seed it, you know, that will tend to grow maybe faster than areas that you haven't seeded. And so part of that was just making sure that that was a you know, set of seeds that we planted in the developer experience area. And then doing everything you can to start encouraging that culture where a, a customer first and of saying, hey, developer experience is really important. It's something that we value here. We want a culture where people are passionate about enabling other developers because it's an awesome feeling and because, you know, and because that is something that's really important uh, to, to the company. All right. And so, um, and in terms of, you know, what that actually meant in practice, in the very beginning, a lot of it is actually around just evangelizing what already exists. I remember listening to one of the podcasts that you hosted. I think it was the Ibotta team. And they talked about how the first step was just sharing, hey, we already have these observability tools or these things that people were underutilizing. And so we too set up a number of evangelizing, evangelization sessions, you know, observability 101, uh, 102, and so forth. That just generated the interest in, in what existed already. And that really made a difference for the team because suddenly, you realize, oh, actually, people actually are really passionate about this. They care about this. What we do is important. And then you say so you improve the documentation of the things that already exist so that people are able to kind of leverage it more. And then you make space for some of the kind of obvious low-hanging fruits um, that you know, already, already exist. Uh, you start doing more kind of listening sessions and, and building the discipline to generate some quick wins out of those uh, listening sessions. One of the things we're doing right now is 
on a very regular basis, every six weeks or so, we have a sprint that's focused on, on quick wins. And you can work on anything that you think people are really excited about that, you know, really vying for. Um, and this enables us to be able to, on the one hand, demonstrate that momentum and, you know, keep the team excited about the things that we're doing, but also we make space for kind of the medium and longer term projects in the space that require time. Because oftentimes it's difficult to weigh, oh, this is like a really value adding thing that's but that just kind of came up today. Like, should I work on that? Or the improvements that, you know, we agreed to kind of focus on for the next couple of weeks. And so, you know, this structure really enables us to kind of kind of have kind of the best of, of both worlds there. Um, and then publish our our wins and newsletters. And one of the things that we're going to start doing more is actually sharing this in more forums at, at all hands of, of different different layers so that people know that what is being done and that this is important to us and so they can give us feedback. Well, I love that. Sounds like your developer experience journey is off to a great start there. I'm curious, I mean, you've seen a company like Airbnb at such a later stage and scale than Notion is today. So as you've, sounds like you're focusing a lot on, you know, being customer first and quick wins while sort of also identifying these longer term things. So I'm curious, I'm just really interested in what you're seeing, like at Notion, are you seeing things where you're like, you know, this is something we're going to have to do something about in like 12 months. <laughs> I'm curious, what, what are those types of things you might be seeing that you know are around the corner, but, but not maybe things to focus on quite yet? Yeah, that's a good question. So we already talked about the importance of kind of just seeding a focus and, you know, building a culture around developer experience. So that's just one thing. Uh, one of the things that often came up in conversations with other leaders who've gone through this space, I talked to a bunch of folks before joining Notion. And the other things that folks often talk about starting early um, is around building a program around your hosting costs, infrastructure uh, hosting costs. Because that's also a cultural element. Because oftentimes companies in hyper growth, it's the top line that matters. Sorry, it's the yeah, it's, a, it's the top line that matters and not the bottom line. Until suddenly, it's it's both or it's the bottom line, right? And so, and with these things, it takes time to build that culture, to build that or orchestration muscle, to build that you know, program management muscle uh, and attribution and, and so forth. And so that's one thing that you know folks often talk about, kind of getting started early, and that's something not as much in the developer experience kind of area, but something that we're thinking a lot uh, about. In terms of you know things that we have to do kind of looking to the future, there's so many possible answers uh, to that. Um, I think one of the things we're focused on now is enabling the teams here to uh, adopt a more DevOps mindset, right? the mindset of hey, owning the things, uh, their work. And a lot of that is around providing the observability tooling to do so, establishing best practices around how we do on-call, uh, post-mortems, and, and so forth, setting uh, examples uh, there, and so forth. So I think that's that's one, one big focus. Another thing I think that we're really focused on is how do we think about our architecture? And I think in the develop, for developer experience, there's kind of this hierarchy of needs, right, where 
the clarity of your technical and product direction is actually even more important than the quality of your tools and services, which is actually even more important than the health of your code base. Um, so it's kind of like this triangle. And, and maybe folks will debate whether that's kind of the right ordering, but knowing exactly where you're going sort of is the hardest strategic piece to get right, but has the most implications because depending on how you structure your code base, everything else um, follows. And so that's something that we are starting to think a lot about, but we're trying to be really practical. One of the things that really enable Notion to move fast today is the fact that the code base is relatively monolithic. It's a, it's a very client-focused code base. It doesn't have a lot of services. You're able to build new features very, very quickly, right? Now, how do you evolve that developers can move faster? There, you know, We're starting to see that different teams are needing the same uh, shared abstractions, but they're having to kind of build their own, right? So as an example, Notion is really based on this idea of blocks. Uh, there's actually this blog post that uh, one of our colleagues, Jake, wrote called the data model behind Notion's flexibility. We have kind of this tree-like structure where it's oftentimes when you build different features, you really want to count the number of blocks with a certain property inside of a tree. And so it'd be really helpful to have a recursive document index or a recursive index of block properties that are shared across all these different use cases. And so we're now thinking a lot about what are these different layers that we want to build out to enable that? And then eventually over time, you know, thinking about how we want to architect Notion so that new engineers only have to think about a subset of the code base as opposed to their entirety, but approaching this in a more incremental way, first focusing on the layers that we know we already uh, need to have today. Myself and everyone at our company, we use Notion. Big fans of the product, by the way. And that's so interesting to just hear you talk about how you're so meticulously and deliberately thinking about the architecture of the code base, but from a, with the customer-first mindset, right? Thinking about the experience of people who will be working in that code base. I really love that. Willie, it's been so awesome talking to you, hearing about Airbnb and the work you're doing now at Notion. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Avi, thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you so much that, for all that you're doing to promote developer experience. It's such an important part of our industry. So love what you're doing. And you know, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Willie.